Welcome to Crossing Faiths, where a Christian and the Muslim talk religion and politics. I'm Elliot Tillman. John Pitt. And today we're going to talk about, well, let's see what we talk about. I wanted to open with this article. Well, it's an, it's an editorial. It's a, it's a commentary that was posted on September 11th uh, by, uh, it was on the BFD. And the headline of was that the BFD? It's some independent news source. Oh, okay, I thought it was a. I, I'm not really familiar with it. I don't. It's. I don't think it's based in the states, as far as I can tell. I'd have to look into it a little bit further. This one specifically talks about Germany, more than anything else. Um, the author might be from Australia, though. I don't know exactly. the The content of the article, which is quite incendiary, um, and I, I think it's it's meant to either speak into a an echo chamber or to be provocative. But uh, the headline is what Muslims are allowed to get away with in the West. The article discusses how Muslims are allowed to get away with breaking laws and cultural expectations in Western countries. Crazy laws. Uh, the, specifically laws around um, polygamy and underage marriage. <laughs> so the author's contention is that while... Uh, Westerners are forced to abide by Muslim prescriptions in Islamic countries. Wow. The same standards are not applied to Muslims in uh, Western countries. Okay. Speaking specifically about um, European countries like Germany, where the author contends that Muslims are able to get away with things that hit for, for normal people in that Western country would be considered unethical if not illegal okay um interesting uh so uh, i yes it's been a while since i i like i said when i was in the american islamic congress it was always it was my job to charge hills on 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 issues like this so i will attempt to do it in, in a in a in a coherent manner uh well, I think it's it. How maybe how it, yeah, how wonderful is it for someone to just turn around and the first thing they do is they say call Muslim, they call our community, call my community pedophiles and 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 uh, and 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 polygamists. Um, I'm not sure there are any instances that I'm aware of, particularly in the Western world, where that is the case. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about. You know Texas or Utah or something like that. I I, I could speak more, more more clearly about uh, some of the Christian sects that have, that have done that, or not, or or non-Muslims that have been involved in child trafficking and so forth, which is a uh, a very very big part of my colleagues, uh, Father John Anderson, who who runs uh, the Saint Nicholas Freedom Group, is uh, is anti-trafficking. Uh, we don't generally find that many Muslims trafficked. Uh, we were focusing on Ukraine uh, over the last five years and, and some of the other countries in Eastern Europe. But I just don't know. I, I think he's just talking. He's just he's, he's very clearly making a statement as if it's so. I think that by and large, Muslims, I think Muslims follow the rules of the country that they're in. Um, the idea 
that Sharia, which the Western mistake is Sharia is is law. It's not law. Sharia is the encomp- all-encompassing sort of umbrella of the existence of a Muslim. So it incorporates the Quran and the Sunnah and the Hadith and and Islamic law, which is very specific to the sect that you're in. Right. So when I got married, uh, uh, the, the, my my wife is uh, was a, a, a twelver, so they gave me two books of Islamic law from two twelver ayatollahs, you know, so, scholars, and they said, "Do you want it, the Shirazi or the Sistani?" And I grabbed both of them and I took them, and I and they, "What are you doing?" I go, "Well, you know, sh- you know, when 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 we're loving, it's going to be Sistani, but when we're hating, it's going to be Shirazi." And it was it was a joke because Shirazi is very very conservative, <laughs> but you know, and I never. I mean, I cracked the books, read through them. I mean, I, and I've arbitrated on Islamic law. Uh, it in I used to do twenty eight hundred cases a year in, in in Iraq. But um, Islamic law is here. Okay, so is 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 it it, it, it's, it arbitrates over very very specific, like like the civil code, right, um, that we have in, in America. The idea that would replace anything—it's something you got to adhere to in, uh, uh, above and beyond what what the laws are of the country. So, there's no replacement of law of any law in a Western country with Sharia, um, or more specifically, Islamic law. You have to adhere to the laws of the country, and yes, the laws of God of Allah are higher than the laws of man but you still have to adhere to the laws and the rules within the, within the land. I think it's very interesting that this gentleman is coming from a Western liberal idea uh, or mindset and, and background and saying, well, I don't understand why in Muslim countries, you know, uh, foreigners have to adhere to their rules. Well, if they're not Western liberal, uh, individualistic, countries by large uh they're generally uh one of my specialties is engagement modeling of collective cultures in an islamic context right translating western concepts to collective cultures and and the and the, and the reverse there's there's a membrane there and that membrane means that when you're you're going into some of these countries there's cultural norms and then there's religious norms and i think this this gentleman is is trying to make it make it uh, trying trying to describe everything in a very simplistic and parochial manner. So, you know, and I go to Saudi Arabia. You know, I, I'm I'm I got to mind my p's and q's. First of all, I'm Shia. Second of all, I I'm I have to I'm I'm not Arab. I, I'm 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 Indo Greek and my mother's from a Greek from North Africa. My father's a Greek from Afghanistan. So I'm I have to I cult there's a there's I don't have the same cultural norms. I don't have the same same dress. I do not have the same manner of which I eat, although there's some similarities. So there's a cultural shock, culture shock for me when I go into any Muslim country that I'm not from, just like anybody else. Um 
and I think he he's just dumbing this thing down. So all anybody who goes to a foreign country who's not from the foreign country has to deal with cultural norms. The religious norms, no one's forcing anybody to go to the mosque. No one's forcing anybody to pray. No one's forcing anybody to do that. I think that uh, they do talk about wearing the headscarf because they do have modesty. They do. There is the idea of modesty. Uh, I think that there's and but there's also a lot of liberalism in most cities in Muslim countries. I think it's but I think there's there's a there's a disconnect in applying this Western liberalism. If you're for religious freedom, which I'm an advocate of, right, and you're all about liberalism and individuality, then there has to be there's always a sliding scale in Western countries. Now, if this guy's from Germany, I can understand his burn though. Um, I I was part of a delegation to advise Merkel. Merkel? Merkel? Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 I'm getting, making sure that I was getting confused with the, the princess. So, uh, and and I, I went in maybe 2013 uh, and we, there was a, a big problem with immigration, as they said. I said, well, you know, the problem is, is that we'll come for opportunity. And so if the economic opportunity is there, everything's going to be okay. If there's economic opportunity not, not there, then there's going to be a problem. But they were more concerned about the changing culture of Germany. And I can understand how a German would feel that way. Because the Western, Western liberals, and we're dealing with it in our country, are trying very hard to accommodate individuals or accommodate different cultures in a superficial way. And that superficiality generally means going to not understanding who or what and th this culture is about or these people are about. And the, the Muslim culture is diverse. It's a multicultural. It's interdimensional. It's, it's um, intra-faith. It's uh, multi-ethnic. It's multilingual. And our government, like now, the, the Biden administration is a perfect example. I, I deal with the Biden administration all the time. Our administration since Clinton and the Biden administration, anytime there is a Democratic administration, they have their favorite Muslims. And their favorite Muslims are threefold. Generally, they're Indian Muslims. Uh, they, they, they love to appoint their, the Indian Muslims. They love their Wahhabi friends. They have very specific Wahhabi friends. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being a hobby. It can be a hobby without being dangerous, but it's it's pandering to one sect uh, out of the eight general sects that are mainstream Islam, right? For Shia, for and and so this guy is a, a victim of what he perceives Islam to be from a, a, a pandering of Western liberal government and individuals who are. Or virtue signaling so and what they do is they but they they still they still try to corral all the muslims into one stream and say well these are the muslims we're comfortable with i don't know is that a good attempt at that question sure that uh, to address the comment so what comes to mind for me is that america is a historical melting pot and so in our particular context it's there's a certain level of expectation uh, of sort of a live and let live attitude, 
where broadly speaking, people can sort of practice whatever cultural and religious traditions they're comfortable with, with the expectation that the people around them will be doing the same thing mm. and that we'll be sort of making accommodations for each other. So this article specifically is talking about things like uh, Muslim men importing uh, multiple wives, some of which may be underaged. And so these are things that are clearly illegal within the the countries that he's talking about, like Germany and Australia, uh, but that are allowed because of the background of the Muslims. What I'm more interested in is questions, you know, of more arguably benign practices that are. Well, let me address this polygamy issue. So real off the right at the bat, because I just think if we state it, so I just, I, polygamy is rare around the world and mostly confined to a few regions. So I think that this guy is just saying that. Um, and I, and I've never, I've never been confronted with the polygamy as an issue in Europe. My impression of the article is that he's keying in on a few incidences that don't necessarily reflect the norm. Yeah. We're talking about European countries, though. So if you take a country like France or Germany, they do not have, they're not historical melting pots in the same way that America is very homogeneous. Yeah. And so you could say that a country like Germany or France has much more of a strong cultural heritage that the natives of that country have a vested interest in preserving and the the government the society of of that country also has a vested interest in preserving and maintaining what is unique about that particular culture and so for me that represents something of a difference between the united states and say france where if as you said if a Westerner comes into a Muslim country, then y you might say that as a gesture of respect for the people who live there, there are certain guidelines or rules that should be followed to pre prevent causing some sort of a scandal among the people. And in a similar way, I suppose that it could be argued that if a Muslim comes into a Western country like France that is more historically homogenous mm. and does have its own culture that it's trying to preserve, there is a certain right that as a society that that country could say, that's not us. Mm. And that's not a reflection of the types of people who want to live here and who we want living here to maintain the society in which we live. Well, um, I think I, I, well, let's take each country that we talked about or that you talked about one by one. I, I, and, and so I, I would say that, uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to see if I can find, you know, I think that 
let me just let me let me, let me just scroll through it. Okay, Hungary. Let's go with Hungary first. Hungary, Orban has decided that they're a Christian country. Um, they give development funds only to Christians in the Middle East. Uh, they have set an expectation, like Muslim countries, uh, that we are a Christian country. This is who we are, and we're there. Like as my mother would say, there's there there are protocols, niceties, cordialities. That's how my mother would say it. Um, that you have to adhere to when you're in public. Do whatever you want in your house. Uh, and, and Orban's been called a, a, a totalitarian uh, and, and a number of other words. I, I kind of have a lot of respect for that idea. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the merit of it, but he's just declared himself a, a, a Christian country. I think they're Catholic. So there's an expectation when you step in that country, and I've been there, to make sure that you adhere to the general rules of their faith and culture within the Hungarian construct. You know, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, Germany has less so of an expectation. Why? Birth rates are down. Need for labor is up. And if you don't have a population of people to do that, then it needs to come from somewhere who's willing to take whatever that paycheck is for that job. So there's economic element to it. Almost the same exact thing that I said to Merkel when you said to Akadur. Um, and... So th there's there's on one hand, and the Brits Brits deal with this. Um, there's a lot of Romanians in Brit in 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 the UK, and there and there there's a lot of comments when I was over there because I had a place there for 13 years, and they were talking about how things are changing. And it's not just that nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to do the work. No one wanted to be in the old people homes and take care of people. So Germany is in a, a, a strange bind because they've created this environment of western liberalism anchored in brussels and they've established the need for labor and have participated in the global market of immigration to meet those labor needs the challenge is is that people you you can't this is the question i have to work on what is your what is your program to sort of nationalize and to indigenize people into your country, what what is that? It's like I, I told us, I don't, I I I I don't know, I I don't really like going to Germany. It's kind of like I, it's not my it's not my thing. And they said, why? I go because I think you're very successful at maintaining your culture because it's kind of like walking into a doctor's office. That's how I described it, you know. And and it was very offensive, apparently, what I said. But I go, I'm. I, I'm not comfortable. It's uh, going. I, I'm more comfortable in in Russia. You know where I went to school. I'm more. I, it's a very very diverse population in 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 Russia, for example, just like America. You know, and and in America and Russia, I always just say they're, they're very two similar countries. So like that makes you American or Russian is the soil underneath your feet because they have the most ethnically diverse populations, most religiously diverse populations. They span. They have a lot of real estate. Uh, 
they're hard chargers, good fighters, and which is that's and and highly xenophobic. So once you're once you're Russian or once you're American, meh. Um, which is why we are always clashing with each other. France, on the other hand, they have no business saying anything. And and they have no business saying anything because um they have they have uh almost 30 Francophile countries. And so in recent news, you know, Niger has rebelled in Burkina Faso and Mauritania and all these places. They, they're, they are the only entity in the planet. They're the only country in the planet that has maintained their colonial possessions. You go to Tunisia, it's the Frank, you know, uh, you go to a lot of countries, uh, the Francophiles, any one of those 28 countries or 20 or 30 countries, they have, they, they they speak French. They have the Frank, which French uses the Euro. Uh, they they have to have a French education, which is worthless, and their their countries are being just destroyed by uh, by 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 the by by France. Uh, and that everyone in those countries in Africa, most of the French Francophile countries are in Africa, have every, those everybody has a French name and then their tribal name. So France wants to have their cake and eat it too, to use, you know, to go right back to Marie Antoinette. And I, I don't think they have a say. I don't think they, I think that their liberalism, life, liberty, and fraternity, which was their French Revolution, is only, is only there for, and only exists for those that are French or look French, feel French, whatever. The, 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 the colonies, the Francophile countries, they haven't been able to enjoy the Frenchness, um, or and and the, the fruits of being of the French monetary system, economy, education, and so forth. They just feed a. I I would I would just call it colonialism, but some people say neo-colonialism, but it's it's a colonial system. The Brits, on the other hand, they've been able to shape that off. Uh, they've been able to put all their colonial guilt onto America, uh, and we've dealt with that with Iran when they wanted uh, the petrol. In Iran, and we overthrew uh, their government there, and then put the Shah in place, and we end up having to deal with a lot of the the results of, of British colonial rule, and we take on that responsibility, and even and even that 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 guilt. I think America has takes on, uh, and I don't think it's I don't think it's rightly so at all. Um, I, I, Germany, I think, is in a tough place, and I think this guy is a victim of of uh, a struggling economy, loose borders, and you know the Turks, which have been very aggressively tr- allowing individuals to pass through their country to Germany. Um, but I, I think that his his assertions about polygamy and child brides and so forth—that's all horseshit. Um, this particular article. I believe it was meant to be incendiary and is most likely keying in on a few um, a few cases that are not in the ordinary kind of special cases. He's behind the curve, you know, the, the hating Muslims is not is not isn't is really it's kind of like old war and war and terror type stuff now. 
I think that, you know, the new thing is, is, is Russia and China. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge I think with it, we're having in this, I mean, we're on the heels of nine 11 and, 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 uh, I remember maybe it was, maybe it was five or six years ago. I was, no, it was during the Trump administration. We were bringing small scale police, uh, into police departments, into, uh, into the white house. And we were trying to socialize, um, their problems with, with the white house during the criminal justice reform. So like, you know, these rural police departments have maybe one person for every hundred thousand people or 50,000 people. They like pass their guns and their, their protective, their PPEs, the protective equipment to the, the officers coming on duty because they just don't have big budget. And so, so I, so I went down to, uh, uh, Rodriguez, um, Louisiana and there's a buddy of mine down there and he, he had just had his camp robbed. You know, he has a house and then he has like a camp somewhere. It was, and they stole like a generator and stuff like that. And his comment was really funny. His comment was, boy, if I, if I ever catch the guy, you know, and he said, you know, it, you know, if he was just, you know, and, and it makes me think maybe he's a, it's an Islamic terrorist. Maybe he's a terrorist who's, who's, you know, supplying up to do the, and I said, why would you think there's a terrorist in the middle of Louisiana, like the major, like the countryside, like we're talking places that I would, I mean, I would go, but most people wouldn't go. And, uh, and he goes, well, he goes, well, you know, you can't rule it out. And I said, well, the likelihood of that happening is so low, but he wanted so much to be the guy that stopped the terrorist. And it was a funny comment and it, but it was fitting for the time. Because you want, you don't want to think that your own people are jackasses. You don't want to think your own people are criminals. You don't want to think that your your that your neighbor has been eyeballing your generator and he stole it. Yeah, and now he's got it hidden in his garage. If it's just if we could just think it's somebody who's the other, you know. Yes, it's that othering uh, mentality. Humans have an anthropological problem in the sense that for. Most of the history of our species, we've existed in small tribal groups. And part of our survival tactic is to be able to clearly identify who is in the group and who is out of the group yeah. so that we can uh, properly allocate resources and, and that sort of thing. And in a period of time that historically is kind of a blip, we have transitioned out of small tribal societies into this big interconnected global society. And as a result, we still have these tribal programs running in a context in which they make no sense whatsoever. And as our world becomes more interconnected, we are experiencing this tension of trying to fulfill this need of identifying other groups, who's in, who's out, who am I a part of, who's different from me, right? But the world no longer necessarily functions in that way. And so, of course, I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but one of my favorite books is The, the, White, uh, the Wild Flag by E.B. White. Um, and the basic intention of that book is that uh, it was written in the late 1940s after the end of World War II. The basic contention was that in a world with atomic weapons, 
the notion of sovereign nations makes no sense. You could argue that point, but I think that beneath it, the subtext is that as the world becomes more interconnected and as technology becomes more advanced, possibly there is a need to for humanity to do whatever it can to adjust to these new circumstances and break out of the tribal mindsets that have served us so well for the past 30, 40,000 years. And I, well, I'm, I'm a, you know, this is a strange guy. So I believe in, she wrote a book called Retreat of the State. And she said, sovereignty only exists if it meets a certain criteria. <clears throat> One is that you have natural borders. You can project force strategically in multiple theaters and sustain it. And uh, there's laws to protect individuals and companies. And the reason why it does it only exists for countries that have those capabilities is because of transnational companies and multinational companies. She was an economist. Are essentially countries without borders. Um, and there's now you know non-state actors mm-hmm. in, in, in in that are NGOs and so forth. And and I, I agree with her. And, and I agree with what you're saying. So the, the you know we're in this interconnected world, right? Um, speaking back to my friend, look, he was, he was, he was Islamophobic. Not in the, not in the pejorative sense that both the left and the right in America use it. He was scared of Muslims. I was the first Muslim that he met. And he rightly so, he was scared of Muslims. Because he, all he knew was 9-11, he was law enforcement, and he had to protect his community. And he knew that Muslims weren't part of the community. And if they were, he was unaware. Uh-huh. And it completely turned his head when I came down there to engage them to bring him to the White House. And we're still friends to this day. Although I do get a lot of pretty crazy memes from him. So, yeah. Wild means uh, yeah. he said something. Both. It makes sense that we would be afraid of what we don't understand, and of course, that's you know the purpose of what we're trying to do here is to bring some understanding where it might not otherwise exist. Well, I think we bring our conversation. I I don't know if I I don't know I you know I'm, I think our the tagline underneath our podcast should be you know the the podcast was listened to, but whether it was listened but the podcast was open was it listened to and understood? I'm not sure. You know the intent. I think the the biggest thing with you and I is we try to understand each other. Like, here's the thing. When you go to Orban's Hungary, he doesn't like evangelicals either. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the Christian on Christian, the nuanced sort of hate amongst Christians is just like the nuanced hate amongst Muslims, right? In the intra-faith communities. And and I'm using a small H, not a big H, right? So it, I think that you know, it's very easy to say, to say, to, to, to kind of flip it and say, well, like this guy is our own like Muslim. But when it comes to the, the, the Christian persecution of Christians, it's still going on, right? Uh, in the Middle East, when you talk about, uh, you know, there's all these groups, there's like the, the Jubilee campaign, there's in defense of Christians, there's Christian solidarity. All these groups are evangelical groups. They all talk about the numbers of persecuted Christians in the Middle East as as this atrocity. But they're the Christians that are being killed are the Christians they don't like. They're the Orthodox Christians, the Eastern Orthodox Christians. 
and it's opened the door for them to parachute in and start churches uh, and evangelize. Um, you know, I mean, so when it comes to like, we, we, we talked a little bit about this nuanced, nuanced, it's for me, it, it, it's, you know, they sort of shades like in America, there was, there, 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 there's multiple competing Christian groups. And that's why we have churches in every corner here because you can't go to the same church. Uh, but we were passing around this article about this, these Methodists. Right, and there's what six thousand of them sort of banded together because, or no, six thousand members of the church left. Six thousand was it congregations? Yeah, I don't, you know, yeah. left, and so they're banding together. But with a Christian, I mean, maybe we could you know talk you know talk a little bit about that. I mean, what do you think about the the Christian? We're in this world that's it's that's interconnected. The Christians are still competing though, hmm. aren't they? You know, like, what does this guy mean? Like, what is what is he talking about? Does he want? Is he talking about? The, 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 there's a far right party. I can't remember its name. I heard it interview by one of its leaders, and they're you know being accused of being Nazis, right? They're they're so, they're national socialists in Germany, and and there's the rise of this idea, and so everybody's like, well, are you a Nazi? Are you is this happening? So. You know, Nazism was was a was a was a reformed movement, reformed Christian movement. Period. You know, so and 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 the, the, one of the worst you know dictators of our time, Adolf Hitler, was passionately uh, about this sort of Aryan uh, sort of Christian heritage that that bolstered all this. I mean, how could a whole country of good 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 you know what are that what are what are the what are they uh, what what are what are Germans? Generally, as far as Christian wise, they're they're on the reform side, right? So, so what are they? What's their what's their denominational group? Their major denominational group from a Christian perspective. I suppose you could say Lutheran. So they're Lutherans, right? So, so a, a bunch of Lutherans participated in the Holocaust. A bunch of Lutherans fortified a, a, the Nazi regime. A bunch of Lutherans did all that stuff. We don't say that because. In, in the Western world, worse, worse, we've got it. We say, well, it's, well, it was Nazis, it was National Socialism. But guess what? These were church going people. Yeah, there was a national church that was established under Nazi Germany, wasn't there? Yeah. And so the thing is, is that, you know, so, the, so what is this guy actually talking about? Is, so he's not anti Jew, he's anti Muslim, and, and he's trying to create this rallying cry anti Muslim. Uh, the, tra- the challenge is, is we are speaking to your point of the interconnected world. Germany needs labor. In or- the people that, that will take those short wages are going to be immigrants. Most of the immigrants are going to be Muslim. They got to come from somewhere. They're not going to come from the Francophile countries because the Francophile countries feed uh, uh, France. And at least, at least, at least Germany doesn't have the pretense of saying that they're they that they're part of Western liberalism while while maintaining colonial possessions uh, but I don't know I think that uh, I think that the the idea of I mean like I said we're on the heels of 9-11 and, and last year I was speaking at churches and, and sort of synagogues on, on on a multi-faith sort of, sort of local tour here which was, which was interesting because I hadn't been asked in a long time but the conversation this year is very different um, 
because we're having this, we're, we're chatting over the idea of this integrated, this integrated world. This guy's really angry about what the culture diluting in Germany. I mean, what town is he in that that's happening? You know, are they shutting down beer gardens? Are they, are they, are people putting, are people putting away their leader who's in? No, this article, and I don't want to lend more weight to the article than it deserves. The specific contention of the opinion piece was that there's a certain exceptionalism that's being applied to Muslims by which they are able to get away with things in Western countries that other people can't get away with. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's just, I think he just, he's just saying it. I think that the problem is there's exceptionalism everywhere. We're, we're dealing with, with it in our country with just about every population that wants to be considered protected, a protected class. And so, the, you know, the, the challenge is that that, that, what those, that that list of protected classes becomes longer and longer and longer. Uh, and now the point is, is that, that the only other person, you know, I, I went to, I went to go get my, um, to, to get acupuncture. And, and this is maybe the second time in my life I went to get it and I was urged to go get it. And, uh, and so I went to go get this acupuncture and I came to the end, uh, of the session and I got to the point where I had to pay and, and, uh, and I said, well, what, how much does it cost? And she goes, well, you know, if you're, you know, LGBTQAI, if you're BIPOC, if you're, and she went through this whole list and she said, hey, that's 20% off. And I said, so who pays full price? You know, and CUC said, well, if you're a white male. And I said, well, why, why would you do that? Why, why would you, why wouldn't you just offer a good price and try to get a decent price instead of hundred dollars, just charge $80 and then anybody can come. And, and she's, and I said, well, I'll pay the full rate. And she said, well, well, aren't you this, 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 and this. I said, yeah, I am, but I believe in paying my way. And I always, I, I don't, I don't believe in entitlement. So I'm not an entitlement guy. So I said, I believe in paying my way. And she goes, well, why would you do that? I go, because I don't believe in the idea that you are setting the rules. I, it's your business. You could do whatever you want, but I don't have to agree with it. So I'm not going to save the $20 to, to, to pay into your bigotry. Because here's the thing, uh, a white guy might need acupuncture and may not have the money, right? And so I think that that's fine. Um, uh, I think that you should provide your service uh, equally. You know, I have a bakery cafe and I don't have a sign that says everybody's welcome. I have a sign that that everybody knows they're welcome by by the, 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 the content of the character of the people that are there. And I've had many people that have worked with me there um and many people that worked with me when i was in washington something like that we had a multi-faith staff and a multi-ethnic staff in at in at, at the american islamic congress and and we didn't have to sort of signal to anybody everybody came and everybody was welcome but i think that the idea of this i think this gentleman like i think it is meant to be incendiary like burning the quran you know uh, like the guy that, that burned the Quran, where was that? In, in, uh, was that in Sweden? Where was that? I can't, Stockholm. I can't remember where that was, but then the Muslim got the permits to burn the other books, but then said that then, but then he didn't mm-hmm. because he said, you have to have a certain amount of, 
protocol, niceties, cordialities. You know, there has to be some respect for other people's holy books and traditions. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's important to impose, but a lot of people just don't want to do that. They want to keep things the same way. Um, you know, you and I are locals, right? We were born and raised in the Hudson Valley, right? Mm-hmm. There's been an exodus from New York City after COVID. And now we have a tremendous amount of people here from the city. It's been an infusion of innovation and investment. But there's also a culture war going on. I mean, out of the cafe, people come in and they, we're calling this little Brooklyn now. Right. That's, how we just call this Kingston? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, we, we're a blue collar town. We have five shifts. Our prices are low because we, I don't, I can't look at myself in the mirror if I was charging just for the city people or just opening for the city people. I was open for three years every single day and just started closing on Tuesdays because I, I, and I still have a, I still carry a certain amount of about closing on Tuesdays. But there are a certain number of people, uh, places that are priced to just for the city people. Yeah. And it's been an interesting dynamic in the last few years where uh, we increasingly feel like we are being priced out and this area we is won't. not for us anymore. You own, you own your out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I spent most of my career overseas and, and I, I, I did own a house when I was, when I was based in, in, in Nevada. So I did, but I sold that. When it, I hit, I came home right before COVID and then started looking at houses and then I was outbid. I mean, $200,000 house, I was outbid by $200,000. Yeah. I, I looked at another house that was 210000 I was outbid by almost 400000 $380,000. And I couldn't, I, so I couldn't touch, couldn't touch the houses and I'm not sure I can touch a house now. I mean, I'm, I'm talking with a buddy of mine who wants to move to Florida, who might sell his house to me. It's on the market and we are talking about it and hopefully he'll, he'll still take my offer, but cause he wants somebody who can steward it. And he's kind of this, this guy who has a little bit of nostalgia with this house. I said, you can always come back. We can always do that. And, and our families know each other, but I don't know if I could do it, but I could see how I could very easily say that there's sort of New York city exceptionalism here. There's a bike lane where the rail trail used to be one block from, from Broadway. And now there's a bike lane on Broadway. Yep. Cause the city people were bitching about it. So, and our mayor has built a constituency around city people moving up, keeping their houses in the city, but registering the vote here and voting them in. And that's, you know, that's, that's not a controversy. That's, that's, you know, it's, it's plain to see it's everybody, there's been people, you know, this, 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 there's numbers to, to back that up. So the, ch- and, and, and the mayor is a good mayor. He's not a bad mayor. That's the other thing. He's not a bad mayor. But when you have something like that, where you have a, a small road that now is a bike lane and this really strange parking on the street where it could be widened for two lanes, uh, on either side to help with traffic, that's, that's a little bit of an issue. Well, okay. So th- there's a, underlying civil currents here where on the one hand yeah the people who have lived here all their lives get a vote but on the other hand as the mayor of the municipality 
uh, he can't very well turn down more like new money coming into the area. That's technically a good thing, right? And you have to make accommodations for that money to flow. And so the question is, well, what what's the dynamic? What's the boundary there? This, there's a similar dynamic in places like Germany or England that require labor. America, right? So when, there there are people coming in from other places that are willing to provide that labor, but they have different customs and they speak different languages. And to what extent are we willing to accommodate those people in order to facilitate that labor that people here don't want to do? I I I I think that you hit the nail on the head, right? So here's the problem. We like to talk to the lowest common denominator when we talk about articles like this. So you're talking about immigrants, labor, and that sort of thing. The exceptionalism here in 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 Kingston is because there's an in, in, in there's a there's an influx, an infusion of investment and innovation, right? And and there's a lot of local in investment and innovation. And it's by and large complementary. But the Ger Germany has plenty of very wealthy Muslim business people. And the the thing that 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 it that's ignored or the thing that's 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 like I said, it's very parochial sort of article. The idea that Muslims are uh, that, that that are just immigrants that are just this homo homogeneous group that's destroying Germany. Well, there's plenty of of I think Islam uh, Muslim investment or investment by Muslims in Germany, uh, by uh, by business leaders and so forth, and and that's just to sustain the economy, just like the city people here. But like I some of these I've been to some of the city places, city restaurants, you know, seventeen dollars for a sandwich. So it's not something that I can I can bear as a local and honestly charge. I mean, you can get a grilled cheese for ten dollars at my place with a soup, mm -hmm. and uh, and so you get a burger for thirteen with soup or chips. So I, I I I I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I was going to going to charge that much. But I think, like I said, there's. I think he's speaking to the the people that he's trying to to corral Muslims into this into this corner, and he's cherry picking to the to the to the point where he's ignoring any of the value that 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 the 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 Muslim immigrant groups bring to to Germany. Um, I mean, when it comes to terror, when it comes to criminality, I think. Uh, if Muslims don't adhere to the laws of the land, they get arrested, and they're held to a higher standard. Everybody, you know, and they, when you hear of a bombing or a shooting, you know, everybody goes, everybody leans in, and then they go, "Oh, it was a, it was a white guy," or "Oh, it was a non-Muslim." Everybody goes, "Okay," you know, because everybody wants, everybody leans in because they want it to happen. They want it to be that person. Well, it comes down to comfort. What are we comfortable with? So what? Broadly speaking, I could say, for example, that we are comfortable with hearing about, uh, like in our in our present climate, we are comfortable hearing about uh, Muslims perpetrating terrorist acts against Westerners. 
we are not comfortable with framing Western acts against Muslims as terrorism. We are comfortable with hearing about uh, white figures in authority um, oppressing or abusing um, black people and the injustice of that. We are not comfortable about hearing about black people uh, abusing each other or oppressing each other uh, or perpetrating crimes against each other because that doesn't fit into the what has been defined as comfortable for our society. Right. And so what's happening, you know, as we become more global and interconnected is that people are being forced to face their discomfort. What's happening in the Methodist church is another example of that, where we have true broad tribes within the Methodist community, one of which became increasingly uncomfortable with the introduction of a new element into the church from culture with that lgbtq okay right and so the the methodists are the ones that are the female priests right so the the united methodist church has become more liberal broadly speaking over time and i would say that what it is now would not be recognizable to john wesley right as as his his denomination yeah right but it's gone through a period of historical evolution over the past 50 years and has ended up um, in many places with more liberally minded congregations and congregants than would have been historically normal. But of course, that's true for everyone. Right. So the, the most liberal... There's an experimental component to the Methodist church is what you're saying. There, there always was... Right. I mean, I, John Wesley broke off from the Anglican Church right. to start his denomination, right, based on a certain set of values. And so, you know, and that's that's denominationalism. That's what's happened in the wake of the Reformation. Right. And denominational splits, I would, I would venture to say, are not generally, they're often couched in theology. But I don't think it often comes down to theology. I think it comes down to cultural and political factors or power power factors more than theology itself. Um, and radical parishioner, parishioner, yeah, stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. And then you know, having decided that one wants to make the break, one will find theological ways in which to couch the. The break, the the justification for the break. Mm. I think that that's typically the way in which it happens, based on my experience. Yeah, I I I'm trying. I mean, that's there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of of innovation in the Atlantic world, and and I think that that's something that this guy doesn't look at. The idea that there is. There's like frontier markets. When I was, for 50 years, conservative Islam had all, the only NGOs, the only advocacy groups in Washington. And then the Islam, American Islamic Congress shows up as the only alternate voice. And now, you're talking 20 years, 22 years later, you're talking about, you have the Muslim Public Affairs, uh, no, not Muslim Public Affairs Council, they're old school. Um, you have, 
uh, Muslims for progressive values. You have the the, the uh, American Muslim Council. There's all different types of organizations that represent different on the left and the right within American liberalism exist um, that represent all different types of constituencies. So there's this sort of it's really strange innovation that's been that's been happening over the last ten years, which is why, like when I talk about nine eleven, it's like, I mean, what are we what do we, talk, what do we need to talk about? Um, because it's it's there's you know we're we're at a point now where there's representative bodies of, of all the Muslim constituencies now that celebrate the most diverse Muslim community on the planet, which is American Muslims, right? And so there's it's there's a there's a it's flourishing here, but in the same respect. The, the Democrats, Democratic government will 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 cheer. They have a specific line of Muslims that they like to deal with, and, the, and they still hold hold fast to that. Um, I mean, I I even talked with Schumer's office. We were talking about me being involved in in the ambassador at large position, and we talked with Schumer's office's chief of staff, and we talked with a few other people, and and they decided, well, you know, your 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 name's just you know you, because you have a, a, a experience with religious freedom and because you have a career of this and a career of that and you understand government structures and the department of state and all these different things hell i help i actually helped with erfa the international religious freedom act and all kinds of other stuff they it boiled down to someone at the white house saying it your name his name doesn't seem ethnic enough so john in arabic is yahya and i said well you can call me yahya if you think that's appropriate so that makes it feel better and he just says, "Well, I think we're going to go with or someone that, that we're that we're more comfortable with." And this was after the comment about the name. Uh-huh. And it's, so people have an idea of what a Muslim is of what it needs to be. Yeah. And so, you know, I I love my name. I love my name John because it's translatable. It's a good Muslim name. It's translatable in 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 Russian. It's Ivan. Uh-huh. In Italian, it's Giovanni. You know, it's Yasha in in, in Arabic. And so it's a very translatable name. The name Pena is is less Latinized from Pana, which is like a guy who's a, a good luck. Well, so in to, to what extent, in your opinion, is a decision like that a virtue signaling in the sense that we want to make it absolutely clear that the person we're employing in this position is definitely a Muslim right. and checks all those boxes? Or to what extent is it an attempt to preserve the othering so that there are clear definitions and boundaries between who you are and who they are. I find that most most people in DC, non-Muslims in DC, want to have their Muslim. So they 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 want to have their Muslim. Um, I have an NGO uh, that that uh, everybody, all the NGOs, all the um, all the, the particularly Christian NGOs have 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 their Muslim that they go is their go to guy that stamps things off. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know they, they 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 these these individuals make a whole career of it, um, of being that Muslim. You know, sort of like it. And Uncle Tom, I think, is that is that in that the term in in when it comes to race? Mm-hmm. It's like that. I think Uncle Tom means like the black guy who. Who who indigenizes himself and excuses the master? I think that's what Uncle Tom is. Uh-huh. Um, or another version of that is having sort of like the token black person in your life who sort of speaks for all black people, right? And so that's why Muslims and Muslims was formed so that 
we can have the idea that intrafaith engagement is important. So there's a there's an imam in in D.C. Imam Majid. So he was part. He's he's the leader of Adams Mosque, and Adams Mosque is the second largest mosque in the country. For years, because he was in proximity to D.C., he was the go-to Muslim, and he's built a whole career on being the go-to Muslim. Uh, came from a very conservative line. Um, Shia weren't welcome in his mosque. Uh, and there was a number of, um, of uh, um, and now it's a multi-denominational mosque. It, it, it always was, but it was, there was a nuanced sort of idea behind, you know, wh whether you could, you know, it, it, was, it was a Sunni mosque. So, and Shia weren't comfortable there. But the problem is, is he's had a whole career on representing Muslims, being the representative of Muslims. Uh, and there's, there, he has some, somewhat of a controversial background. Um, when now he has an NGO, he has an NGO that defines Islam within the construct of his, his worldview. Um, a lot of the NGOs now are, are, were very closely with him and, and he's in by large a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's got a good heart. Uh, but the, there's an ego there where it's, I'm going to position myself to, and I, and I'm not going to give access. And when we, when we have interacted in the past, it's been, it, it was, it was contentious and in recent years have been very friendly, but he's a commissioner at the US Surf, the United States, United States Commissioner for National Religious Freedom, Biden appointed him. Uh, and, uh, he's a commissioner now, he has a small NGO, um, and he's still leader of the, of the Adams mosque, um, of which I've attended, you know, and been the only Shia in the room. It was about three years ago, and I'm going to be a little bit off a little bit, three years ago that he finally went on to Karbala. Now he's got some years on me. He's got to be his mid sixties. And uh, maybe maybe closer to seventy, and this was the now he's been representing Muslim issues his entire life, Muslims to the government. We used to sit on the civil rights division with Eric Treen and 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 discuss Muslim issues, and it was just we were the only two Muslims in the room. And uh, and he used to tell me, you know, I don't know why you're here because you know I've got this, <laughs> you know, like and and and. He's a very large man, so he put his, you know, his about, about almost like almost a foot taller than me. Put an arm around. Him. He said, "You know, we don't, we we shouldn't. You know, you, there's no reason why you need to be here." And I'm like, "I'm not. My job is to is to represent the Ummah and bring those issues back, where they make the decision and then they tell me what to do. Not you representing all of of the Ummah and then making decisions on the fly." Yeah, and and so. It's been very, it's very difficult because now he built a whole career. He has access and he's the go-to particularly of when it comes to the democratic administration, the Dems, the Dems had, there's, there's, there's controversy in his background. I'm not saying whether he's good or bad in that night. Like I said, I've interacted with them in recent years. I was actually shocked that he agreed with me that ISIS was a doomsday cult. What I was going to say is, the, about three years ago, he he went to Karbala. So for Shia, the Battle of Karbala is really really big. 
and it's a pilgrimage. You fly in and then you do a walk from the airport to Karbala and then there's a ritual, right? You go through this whole sinus. This is the first time he did it. Well, well into his 60s. One of the one of the holiest, if not the the holiest, shrines in in all of in all of uh, Shiism, and and so the challenge was is that and he came back and he goes, I now understand. He goes, to, he goes after all these years, I finally understand, you know why what the, the, the Shia mindset, but he's been representing the issues for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and and has been essentially holding the seat, blocking any other Muslim from, 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 from stepping up. And, and if they do, they can only get so far because guess who's up? Guess who's the first person they call? Mamajid. What about this Muslim? Well, I don't... He's, he's a little bit off-brand. He's a little bit off. Yeah. So the moral is, we don't know what we don't know. The extent to which we um, block other people from being able to share their views and, and to share their perspectives and experiences limits our ability to understand the world in which we live but you want to go with what you're comfortable with right and so it's there's always that talk to them i mean i've had the calls what about this what about that and i say look here's the thing you can't ask me i can only tell you about my experience with this individual all right and and i can only tell you about what my what my take is on that and it's it's all an opinion uh but here's the thing is that if you're if you're gonna go with the one person you're comfortable with and then sat and then say that I'm good because they re- they representing all of Islam and that it's on them. There's there's a disservice there done to the community, which is what we're talking about here: soul sourcing and going what you're comfortable with, and then having people represent issues. I, I so you know I always say I don't represent I don't represent Islam, but what I do is is I can bring people to the table, and that's part of what M4M does. It brings it, I can bring Muslims to the table to discuss the first group of Muslims, we're talking about in the, in the, this is in the history of the White House, first group of Muslims to represent the four maqams, right? The four schools of uh, Sunnism and Shiism that represents mainstream Islam as outlined in the Amman message I brought to the, the Trump White House. It wasn't friends of Imam Majid. It wasn't friends of the, it was, they were, and, 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 and some of the people I don't agree with, but I brought them to the table. And I brought them to the White House because they represented that constituency in the United States. So, and, and what did I do? I sat back and, and helped facilitate the conversation. That, that's, that's generally not how it happens. Um, when I was asked by, uh, oh God, I can't remember who it was, um, to, to talk about India, I brought in it was it was the America. I was the Indian Indian American Muslim Council. It was uh, it was the the the, uh, the the Christians of the Christians of uh, I can't remember the, the different groups. It was the Christians the guy who represents the Christians in India. The guy who represents the Muslims in India. The guy who represents the Hindus in India. And so, and those are the three people that I had access to. And then I asked others, but and they came in, and the three of them were talking with the National Security Council about what was going on in India. Uh, and, and, and I, uh, do I have an opinion about India? Sure. But did I enter into that conversation and say, I represent the issues? No. Did I go and talk to those three and then aggregate that information, then walk in with that information as if I'm like a golden child because they're more comfortable talking to me? No. I said, you have to talk to these people. 
And so I think the challenge is, is we have this larger room, larger room now where everyone is, more people are fitting into it and it's diverse and the norms of tribalism are breaking down to, to get into what you say, but there still are going to be people and there's still going to be individuals that are not willing to engage that community. They still want to stand with their back to the door. Right. And I think that that's, that's, that's kind of what, that's what's going on now because there's a, there's a tremendous amount of diversity in the Muslim community globally, but just in the United States here. And the access is still very, very limited. You know, you, the ambassador at large for international religious freedom is a lawyer who is a part, who is a, who is a, who is a party loyalist for the, for, for the Democrats. Um, they could have gotten a, 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 any number of Muslims. Uh, and they chose him, and uh, and and I think you can count the amount of headlines that he's made on two fingers. Mm-hmm. So, but I I hope this was coherent enough. I, I don't I surely sure, I'm sure, certainly not as 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 eloquent as you when it comes to talking the issues. But I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for taking the time, John. This has been Crossing Face, a production of Muslims for Muslims International, and. Elliot Tolman Productions. Elliot Tolman Productions. <laughs> <laughs>